Hi everyone, it is Friday, June 30th, 2023. Welcome to Tactio Quick Takes. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. Lots of news to choose from over the last two weeks. So this week we're breaking down the episode into themes as we have regulatory news, big funding exits, and some struggles. So if we don't cover what you were hoping for, please let us know in the comments. But making news over the past few weeks that we're going to discuss um, how governments plan to improve access to talent, movement of people and goods results in some large rounds, some challenges ahead for these companies despite previously raising massive rounds, and finally, a much larger than normal lightning round. So I'm going to need some help breaking it down. So Alex Norman is here. Hi, Alex. Hey, Alex. Um, with the wildfires and collision in Toronto, you think there'd be a lot less to talk about. I know. it's. <clears throat> I feel like it has. we've seen a ton of fluctuation with news, and I feel like it's been a lot of the same lately. So it's nice that we are really breaking the episode up into lots of different themes. That being said, it is going to be a, a heavy episode in terms of subject matter. So we'll just dive right in. Let's um, go. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Uh, so how access to talent is getting improved. And by this, we're referring to how governments are trying to improve access to talent in a multitude of ways. So why don't we just start with what are they doing? What have they done? Okay. Three headlines, um, which when you see them over the last couple of weeks, seem unrelated, but all have the common theme of access to talent or know-how. Uh, first one is the immigration minister announced a tech talent strategy. Second one is Ontario is providing funding to tech to tech related institutions. And the third is FedDev provided a million in financing their John Bone to help with hiring. Go again from probably the biggest news to the smallest news, but I think it gives an idea of what's going on. Is there any more details you can just give us uh, maybe about the implications <clears throat> of each of those? So maybe I'll, I'll start with uh, the tech talent strategy and go. I'll describe each one and we can go through questions. Sure. Yeah. So look, the immigration minister announced. Uh, several new initiatives to make it easier for Canada to attract tech talent and for tech talent to come to Canada. These include the ability for an H-1B holder to get a Canadian work permit for them and their family, which also provides a path to permanent residence, uh, easier work permits for highly skilled workers that are good for five years and not tied to jobs, and or for specific companies that are in you know strategic initiatives for innovation, a digital nomad visa, and an update to the startup visa to make it easier to obtain and less restrictive on who qualifies. Now, each of these could each be 20 minutes, but those are you know the key points from that town strategy announcement. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's a lot, that's a lot, like a lot yeah. of initiatives happening, but what I guess what does this all mean at the end of the day? Look, these initiatives here are to make it easier for Canada to attract and retain the talent required to grow the tech economy. Uh, all these extra, all these different bullet points really are meant to either streamline the process to get your visa and land in Canada, make it more accessible for a wider set of talent mm -hmm. and provide more certainty to the potential visa holders um, by either letting their family members work, which you can't do if you're on H-1B, um, not tying visas to specific jobs. You know, I've known lots of visa, people that have visas in the States or other places that when you have your jobs up, you have like 30 days to find a new job and a new visa, you're out of the country. Yeah. And also providing a path to permanent residence. <clears throat> if you stay for three years in Canada, you can apply, you know, you can get a permanent residence. So it's saying, hey, we're going to visa and we value so much. It's not a year to year visa. It's not long enough that by the end of it, if you want to stay, you can get permanent residence, eventually a path to, you know, being a citizen. Right. This might be a tough question to answer, but just like from what you do know, do you think this is going to work? Well, some of it will work, some won't. Okay. Uh, you know, like let's let's look at a few ideas. People on H one B visa have chosen to prioritize a job in the U S. or moving to the U S. 
over Canada. They've already gone through a long process to get the H1P. It's a pain in the ass. It costs lots of money. Uh, you know, they may choose to come to Canada to reduce future uncertainty, but I'm skeptical about this. Um, the startup visa has been around for a while and historically is not being used by many people. Okay. But we, you know, we have to experiment to get the right programs in place. And more importantly, I think the message that sends that Canada is open to talent Mm -hmm. and we're focused on STEM and tech is mm -hmm. important. I think the messaging backed by actions make all these initiatives a winner. I think it sounds a clear message to the world. Canada wants you. We want to be a tech first economy. Come yep. here. And so just to hit on the word you said about experimentation, which to me might give the impression that there's just not a ton of certainty with what is going to work when it comes to this plan. So, um, I just want to maybe highlight if you think that there's a downside to the process or what the plan is. And if so, what is it? So fundamentally, I think having more talent, people come to this country is good. I think less so the downside to experimentation getting people here. I think this is one part of a, you know, I don't know how many legs tool, <clears throat> but it's, but this is, we're addressing the ability to get people here, but on the macro yeah. level, we're not addressing what happens when they get here. You know, mm -hmm. these people can choose to be anywhere. They're going to come here and they want quality of life. They want opportunities. We're going to definitely provide opportunity, but the quality of life, there's a few challenges we have in this country right now. Um, Housing is not cheap. Our, yep. our healthcare system seems to be broken. Um, other services aren't easily available. So we're going to make it easy to get people here. We have to make sure that their quality of life is great so they stay here. The good thing is we make the quality of life great and lets everyone benefits from both these initiatives then. Um, I'm not saying we have poor quality of life, I'm saying there's just challenges that were here that weren't here 10 years ago. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think as people, folks that do live here, we understand that there are. So um, the attraction and also retention, uh, that's definitely top of mind. So just maybe speaking about the province of Ontario, Okay. Um, what does it mean for those here? So so the announcement that Ontario had specifically, and this is according to Bidikit, the Ontario Centers of Innovation is receiving $50 million through the Ontario mm -hmm. government, $107 million critical technology initiatives program, which supports nonprofit organizations focused on advancing mm -hmm. innovation made in Ontario. Likewise, the Vector Institute will receive up to $27 million. And so that's great. But what is the goal, I guess, of this financing? So the OCI money is to support an initiative to help SMBs of small businesses develop technology in key sectors of the economy. So again, automation, you know, self-driving mm -hmm. cars, stuff like that. The Vector Institute, uh, which is sort of this institute that connects AI engineers with companies and provides AI training is basically to let them continue what they're doing. Um, so, you know, pro it provides companies with access to the tech know-how that they don't already have. Right. And again, to I kind of ask you a similar <clears throat> question, I mean, will, will it work? Look, I believe so. Okay. But the question in all programs like this is what's effective of effectiveness of reaching the people they want to reach. Um, it's great these programs have money. That's great they can connect, you know, help SMBs. They can help other companies become AI smart. But you have to not exist. So what this, what, what I always wonder is how much marketing and how much support and overhead has to go to get connect them with the right customers. Let's call it, and you know, and then so how effective is the money spent on this? So I think this will have a positive impact. Okay. The question is, is the most efficient way to do it. I don't know. And from my understanding, there's been support from FedDev. So I just want to know, um, like, I want to talk about that and also what that support overall means. Yeah. So we've gone from the biggest thing with the federal government to the smallest thing. 
Yeah. Uh, the Federal Economic Development Agency uh, invested a million dollars in Jambone, which is a, a Ontario startup, mm-hmm. which helps with digital staffing um, platform. This enables Jambone to hire 26 people in Mississauga and prepare to expand to the U.S., uh, I mean, lastly, again, just to kind of repeat the question, because yeah. I'm curious to get your take. Will it work? Well, do you think so, so, it will work? Look, this this one's most, you know, if you look at one, here's a bigger picture. It's going to take years to know if it's going to work. Then, right. uh, you know, Ontario one is like, here's something that should work. And this, like, look, you're giving a company a million dollars to our 26 employees. That's the easy part. Mm-hmm. Uh, will Jumbo now execute and introducing the digital staffing agency? I assume it's help. It's help. I know it helps blue collar companies uh, recruit talent. So wasn't explicitly said if that was one of the fact, you know, let's power Jumbo and help other blue collar companies. So question is, what's the amplification there? Um, like, I have no doubt that Jumbo will hire 26 people. I have no doubt it'll deliver services. It just, again, how much amplification do they get and what's the you know, ultimate move um, desired by the Fed dev? And so, so that's great. So before um, I have a couple of questions left for you just before we yeah. move on to our next headline, but I guess I want to understand there's been a lot we've discussed just within this headline, but what do you think the overarching theme overall is with, with everything that we've been talking about? So it's, it's interesting to see all level of governments are investing in providing access to talent and know how required, you know, for the technology industries, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, this is one place where there's a lot of platitude saying, Hey, we understand we have to be STEM first. We have to be innovative. We're not relying on natural resources and all of the governments are actually backing those with actions. Um, what's interesting is if you look at the reports from last year, seven of the ta- 10 fastest growing tech cities, like by the number of people employed in tech and by growth were in Canada. This is North America. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, my guess, I was looking at the largest challenge going forward is the lack of talent. Well, the government's trying to make sure that, there's no lack of talent coming to Canada. So at least we can continue growing our tech ecosystem, rebalancing yep. where our GDP is. So yeah. um, it's, 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 I love to see action. Yes, I agree. I think <clears throat> it's, I think it's very positive movement. And just lastly, uh, I always like to know just takeaways for anyone that's uh, listening or watching right now. So if you talk to many Canadian founders, they know that the government provides subsidies either in like, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a better word from in, in the, via shred or IRAP, so the goal of for financing, non-diluted financing solutions from all levels of government. Um, what's less clear is as companies go to recruit, how many of them are looking at the government programs to tap into them and systematically increase the talent pool they're pulling from and bringing people here. And I think if you're not doing it right now, you have to be doing it. Um, second thing is, you know, me, I'm not a very political person. I think many people in the tech ecosystem aren't very political and, you know, say, okay, you know, government's something we have to deal with. They may, you know, they take care of our basics, but yep. this just shows if we, you know, get our message clear, get our priorities straight, we can help the government shape our future. Right. Um, and it just, you know, and then hopefully align them. And look, and lots of times government's going to be against a lot, have policies that we don't like. Like they tried to tax options very early on a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. So it just, this speaks for why you have to be aware in, in what, and involved with in local politics. Absolutely. And I, agree with what you said before just it's nice to see action happening uh so it will be interesting to actually see i guess what the plan going forward is or how that retention is going to work um as i said before we just have a lot we want to cover so i'm just gonna kind of move us along to the next topic no apologies needed there's a lot of news (laughs) we'll get to it all yes we will but i mean it is great to see a lot of news so we're we're happy about it but i just want to make sure we cover everything so movement of people and goods results in large rounds so this is one of my favorite 
kinds of headlines we do, which is like a two for one special. So we got a couple pieces of news that we want, we want to dissect within this one headline. So what are these couple of announcements that we're okay. going to discuss with this? two large rounds? Uh, mm -hmm. First one is Rose rocket. They raised 38 million USD. The series B for its transportation management software. It provides a SaaS solution of, uh, enables truck fleets and truck operators to better communicate and mm -hmm. coordinate operating, oper you know, coordinate. And it's basically an operating system or system record for these fleets. Okay. Meanwhile, Passage, you know, it's trying to be a super app helping people relocate to Canada, mm -hmm. raise a 40 million pre-seed round uh, led by Drive Capital. So these, once again, two fairly large rounds that we've seen recently. So, I mean, I'm sure other folks are wondering too, just how did they raise such large amounts? Uh, it's interesting. Both have very different paths to the, to these raises. Um, start with Rose Rocket. It was founded in okay. 2016. So that's like, if I'm, my math is correct, that's seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And they slowly built a system of record that is, whose growth is being fueled by network effects, and multiple revenue streams. Okay. It's basically taking the time to lay foundation over years and is now evident that it can grow into a massive business. Okay. Could you break it down a little bit, maybe a little okay. bit further for anyone? That's so, so <laughs> I'll try to make it less, use a bit less jargon to make it simpler. Um, so what do I mean by system yeah. of record? Uh, basically, Rose Rocket's a primary source of truth for mission critical data for trucking companies. Um, right. So why do you want to be a mission, you know, you know, this, this, System record means you're you're, you're you're core you're essential to operation of the business once you get in, and it makes you very sticky and hard for trucking your fleets to pull out. Right. Same thing. Network effects. You know, just to redefine something that we've talked about often. Um, this is a case where one trucking company that comes on to on, you know each additional trucking company on Rose Rocket adds mm -hmm. incremental value for all current users, so it gets more useful and more powerful the more users it has, and that's because Rose Rocket helps. Come, you know, lots of truck, lots of stuff to get shipped, get a handoff by many different trucks and many different companies. Mm -hmm. So this allows, provides an end-to-end -end transparency, may help with the billing. So imagine you start off, there's 10 trucks in one route, two of them randomly have it. There's some value, but not great. Then three have it, it's better. And once all 10 are on it, it just provides yeah. you know, a lot more efficiency. And then multiple revenue streams. They are SaaS business, but I imagine as they become more core, they can take money off something like, you know, hey, we'll provide payment processing and take mm -hmm. a small sliver. So it, it's a way to boost revenue without actually the companies complaining about it. Got it. Okay. So out of the two, I would say the passage uh, deal specifically is the one I don't have as much context about okay. since you just broke that down so yeah. great before and kind of went into specifics. Um, could you do the same for passage and just explain also logistically how they could also raise such a large round? So this is, a raise based on the founder's reputation and experiences. Um, Pass is still more of a concept than a business right mm -hmm. now, but the founder, Martin Basri, founded Applyboard. You know, Applyboard is an ed tech company that helps mm -hmm. foreign students find post-secondary education. Um, Applyboard was scaled rapidly, um, was most recently valued at above 3 billion, I think closer to 4 billion. And Martin left Applyboard to launch Passage. Mm -hmm. um, which is helping skilled foreign workers relocate to Canada uh, where they can basically make more money. Mm -hmm. If, so if you look at from the investors at the investors, again, um, drive was drive was disclosed. I know some of the other investors or he said some of the other investors had previously backed the ply board. So it looks like this is a return of investors that are previously backing a ply board 
to invest in Martin and Passage. So why is this? Well, if a founder's made a significant amount of money, even if it's on paper, because you can imagine he's, you know, the last one was then sort of this whatever valuation is sort of up multiple times on paper. Um, founders want to back them again. And this is partially a reward for the, you know, the returns they provided before and partially a belief in the founder's ability to execute. Second, uh, Passage is an adjacent market apply board. So the skills and knowledge and, and network are all transferable. Mm-hmm. And so the lowers of execution risk. And finally, this is maybe an even larger opportunity on the apply board. One was dealing with students. This is dealing with anyone with skills that wants to relocate. And it's obvious that there's a, you know multiple ways to finance this. You could charge the people relocating. These people need money to relocate. They need moving service. So there's multiple revenue streams here again. And uh, a question that I also am curious about too is obviously completely different like founder stories and also companies doing completely different things. But what are some of the similarities that these two deals have in common? You know, I, I think you'd say, hey, these are serving large problems, large markets. But mm-hmm. I think what what these are both doing are reducing the search and transaction cost and and using and and you know for their industries so they're making it easier to find information or making it easier to transact you know removing you know they're basically providing transparency and speed and they're right. also trying to build a flywheel right like the network affects the fl- obvious flywheel in rose rocket with a uh passage you know there's talks about okay hey how do we get you know once once someone in a certain area finds the way to get to canada and you provide the financing as each each additional completed relocation um probably reinforces the whole circle of what they're doing and opens up and like if you get 100 you get more financiers maybe get more um you know more penetrations to the market so it's you know it's the way to go about building the business and how they're adding value got it and just lastly is there anything else you'd want to highlight that you think would be a relevant takeaway for our community so first of all, neither of these companies focus on AI. So there's still money out there for great companies in, in, in massive markets that have some tra- yep. you know, potential traction. So money's out there even for non-AI companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's interesting here, as I said, you know, they're both tackling the search and transaction costs by you know, making the availability of information more, well, just making data information more available and transparent, um, like we've discussed a few times. So. Uh, you know, just don't underestimate the amount of value you can get by using technology to make stuff easier to do. Um, and uh, I'd say Rose Rocket is a reminder that great companies take a long time to build. I think yeah. there's been a slow build up here. There's a slow burn, but I think it's, you know, like typical network effect companies as they scale, they'll probably grow faster. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that you mentioned that neither one of these are AI companies because I know, uh, especially on the podcast, we've been talking quite a bit about AI companies and a lot of the races related to that space. So it's true uh, that these are, you know, n- not two companies that are involved within that sector um, and, you know, just raised two large rounds. So that's a good highlight. And both of the founders have also uh, spoken at previous tech TOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, always great insight to go back and look at when they were originally building their company and kind of where it is now to, to compare the two. So I'll definitely make sure those are linked in the show notes. So anybody that's curious can easily find them just quickly before, before we move on, as I said, there's a lot to cover. Um, the newsletter is also a really great place for you to maybe go back and look at some of these original founder presentations before they necessarily quote unquote hit it big or 
grew their companies to what they are now or expanded to another venture. Uh, so the newsletter will also have uh, those interviews as well. Is there anything just quickly you are enjoying about the newsletter, Alex? Oh, I always like seeing the profiles of companies I didn't know about. So do I. And they're very fun to write as well. I think I personally learn a lot about companies that are revolutionizing industries I didn't even know existed. So it's a great place to find more information about them. Uh, so now to switch gears a little bit into talking about challenges in the industry and for certain companies. So headwinds uh, causing some challenges for certain companies. Um, these two in particular that we're going to discuss have previously raised massive rounds. So curious to know what the news is there and, and just who we're going to be talking about. So first of all, this is both from two separate global mail articles in the past week. Mm -hmm. um, they're dealing with shrinking employee count and tough futures for Ritual properly. So Ritual, it discussed how Ritual had laid off 40% of employees, bringing its employee base down to 23 people from a peak of 300. For properly, um, the main topic was that it that they have hired investment banker Raymond James to consider options, including sale um, of the business, and that its its staffing levels down from half from its peak a couple of years ago. Right. And I think it's difficult to obviously just see that the ball was really rolling with both of them. But so how does, um, I get that there's obviously outside circumstances and things with the market and obviously industry related things that probably are affecting them, but how do both companies get, I guess, into this position or this space yeah. in time? So look, look, ritual and for people that know ritual, um, you know, they're, they're key product that led to explosive growth was um, basically let's call it a skip the line. So, hey, let's order ahead, go pick up the food from the restaurant when lunch is ready or dinner is ready. Mm -hmm. um, they were like flying high. They were like a darling. Um, they were just going from city to city, expanding, having great numbers, part of COVID. And then COVID happened and hey, no, one's going, no one's going to the office, let alone out of their yeah. house to pick up food. Um, you know, so like it feels like, you know, especially in the core cities across Canada, you know, we're still not at the levels of people working from the office they were before. So that, that their market just basically shrunk. Yeah. Um, so it's been, a, you know, you've seen a slow decline. And actually, I think just, if I remember correctly, I think just as a month into COVID, we actually had Ray come on and talk about, you know, how it was impacting um, Ritual and Ray's the founder and what they're, what, how they're experimenting with new products. And so this has been a bit of a slow decline as a company has introduced new products to help restaurants to help, you know, to try ways to revitalize growth and be, you know, uh, be uh, valuable. But according to Global Mail, like it doesn't seem like it's been hugely successful. Um, Global Mail mentioned that they, Rituals raised 135 million mm -hmm. to date. They had, as of, they had less than 10.2 million on the balance sheet and they were losing 2 million a quarter. So um, my guess, these layoffs here is to further extend runway and give it, time to reignite growth properly is slightly different okay um properly is a digital first real estate broker um they found success because of covid um and in yes. covid when you know they offer you know, they launched a product called self you know sales assurance which basically backed hey you know go put your property for sale your condo for sale and we'll guarantee a certain price which allowed people to access financing faster they could go buy a property quicker and they gained a lot of market share and a lot of um awareness um mm -hmm. interest rates have risen uh canadian real estate has cooled so that's created two headwinds for for properly the first is with a cooler market there's less transactions so even if you keep your market share there's just you're gonna have declining 
opportunities because right. A, there's less transactions and from the peak prices are down. So each transaction creates less revenue. Right. And then properly for various reasons have stopped offering their uh, sales assurance product, which probably is sort of their positioning and marketing and, you know, and, and it's lost a key advantage win beat business. So I wouldn't be surprised if they've seen also further senior market share slightly decline. So, you know, with this uncertainty and you know potentially negative growth, investors probably encourage the company to figure out the best economic way forward. Thus, mm -hmm. they've hired um, an investment banker. One could argue that both companies had been hit by significant market headwinds, making it difficult to you know to get the growth they need. Yeah, and to remain relevant. Um, I'm sure if you ask some people in the ecosystem, you may hear that both the companies um, had a thin you know, thin tech enabled advantage, not a core tech enabled advantage and use market positioning execution to succeed. And therefore the moats weren't sustainable anyways. And that's what you're seeing. So, right. You know, that's sort of how they've gone to where they are. Okay. And it's an interesting highlight that you made at the very beginning about how COVID helped one thrive, but unfortunately added to the decline of another, uh, just uh, COVID would have been the obvious thought in my head. Yeah. It might've affected both of them in some way, but obviously, yeah, one really thrived with everyone staying home versus ritual obviously, uh, struggled with that. Uh, just lastly, um, any additional like takeaways or learnings just so, from, from this news? You know, a couple, um, you know, startups are all about growth mm -hmm. and when they're growing, they, they have a sort of a positive Flywheel. They raise large amounts. They have a high valuations. They hire fast so they can execute faster. And the goal of that is eventually they, you know, they grow into, they build long-term moats. Um, they have a long-term sustainable advantage and they produce significant cash flow. Mm -hmm. If doesn't, if this doesn't happen, if, you know, the growth slows or even reverses, you get a negative flywheel effect. They lay off people because they don't, you know, because they're nowhere near cash flow positive. If they raise amounts, it's lower valuations, making it harder to recruit people, making it harder to execute. So, um, you know, the growth has an ultimate end. If it doesn't get there, it gets tough. Um, many people, like, you know, celebrate funding announcements. I, I, we talk a lot about them, but I'm usually trying to get analysis, not to celebrate them. But right. forget that until cash flow is repeatable, startups are fragile. And then, you know, so what, what do you need to succeed? And let's look at this as a startup, there's so many things to go, have to go right and you have to do. And let, let's just look, you know, and talk about a few of them and, and how this, these companies did, you know, you build a successful go to market, which includes positioning um, and sales and marketing. I think this is usually undervalued by the market on stage, both ritual and properly had us in spades. Yeah. They, you know, people knew what they were, what they stood for. Yep. There was a value proposition. And I think both of them had high awareness outside of the tech industry and were loved by customers. Mm -hmm. Um, continuously evolve with your market, right? Market dynamics always change, not only COVID, but every many things change. Both companies have shown evidence. Like if you look at, they've both introduced lots of products, they've killed some, they've expanded some, they doubled down on them. So these companies are constantly evolving and learning. Um, and then the last thing, you know, which is where you get the real long-term money is you build a long-term sustainable moat. Mm. Um, and it's interesting, if you ask investors, there's so many different opinions and there's, there's so many different ways to do this, but you know, investors, you, if you, if you were to ask VCs, a lot of them say, okay, we want ones that are, either network based or, you know, his systems of record. So there's two, okay. they become so crucial that the moat is deep and hard to pull out. Okay. Um, you know, there's like, and there's many different theories on how you build moats. Like, and I think a lot of them are execution, executing faster and competitors are marketing positioning. And I think what's, you know, these companies had a moat at one point. And the question is okay. how sustainable were these and 
well, you know, was it beyond marketing positioning? And if the market dynamics were right, could they build a moat here? So, okay. um, again, and I could probably list 10 other things. It's just really hard to build a business. So the last thing I'll say here is a bit of okay. a, look, founders get a lot of glory and attention um, when they build a business. When things are going great, this seems unfair. It seems good. It seems like, why should these people get the attention? And I realize it takes a business to build, you know, a team to build a business. But, you know, when things hit a row bump and lots of them hit a row bump on the way to like, you know, being public companies and massive companies, the founders take a disproportionate amount of attention and take a disproportionate amount of shit, have to make hard decisions. Um, so I always, you know, both these companies have built something that was big and, you know, may or may not be enduring, but we should plow the founders, we should you know, applaud the team that have done it because it ain't easy, even when it's going well. And, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of stress both these companies and founders are going through right now, I would not wish on anyone. Got it. Um, I may have to, um, I, I have so many other questions that I would want to ask you. So you might have to come back with a founder FAQ on this, but I would want to know from your perspective, what you think the components are of a successful moat. So maybe that's something we can think about and include in a more in-depth article. Well, if people want to know about that, I'm happy to put together a series and talk to a bunch of experts again, just yeah. not my opinion, but a bunch of different people in the ecosystem. So I, yeah. let us know. Yeah, I think that would be great. So uh, definitely something that we can we can come back to later because I think there's a lot there. So just um, exciting for this lightning round because it is quite larger than normal and we've broken and I it caught down. A, I caught a lot of, out of it too. Yes, yeah, yes. There's been a lot of news, which is great. We love, we love that. Um, we've split it up into various um, sort of topics. So in terms of transactions, we'll go there first. So there's a few things in there that you want to talk about. So um, maybe just start with the news out of Quebec and that transaction, and then uh, yeah. just kind of go down the list of what you okay. have. So you know, my McKinsey person showed me I have three under this transaction. Uh, first, we'll start with Quebec-based POCA. You know, they were acquired by private equity-backed IFS world operations for somewhere around 200 million. Mm -hmm. yeah, so why do we care? Yeah, why um, do we care? Look, we're talking about a couple of large VC rounds today. We've talked about a few more recently. There's just not as many as there was a year ago or two years ago. But the private equity acquisitions of mid-market Canadian tech companies doesn't seem to have slowed down in, um, you know, and then particularly for companies bringing effectiveness, efficiency, blue-collar workers, which Polka does. Um, I also find it very interesting to see so many blue-collar worker tools continue to thrive and not get much attention while any, you know, lots of these AI tools are getting attention right now because it could make... Uh, efficiency is much better for white collars, which I would argue really benefit from technology. So blue collar workers, um, their lives will continue to be uh, redefined by technology companies, particularly Canadian ones that get bought by private equity firms. Okay. And then Weston family news and then also financing. Okay. Well. So for, first of all, uh, are you familiar who the Westons are? Galen Weston. And yeah. Yep. The, the, okay. the Loblaws family. So, I, I was going to say, I'm a, I'm a, I go hard for Loblaws. <laughs> so, okay. yes, very familiar. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this, you know, they, there was an announcement that they sold uh, Selfridges for 6.9 yep. billion. You know, okay. What, why are we talking about that? Mm -hmm. um, it's more what they're planning to do with the money. They, you know, didn't get specifics. They basically are saying, hey, we're getting out of its, you know, retail and we're going to redirect this money to alternative assets and in particular the technology related assets. Okay. Um, it's a large redeployment of capital. And mm -hmm. some which will go into, you know, our tech ecosystem, our tech in general. And one, you know, you've got also the Marais who've done a lot over the last few years. So, you know, here's two of the richest families in, in Canada saying, yeah, we love our traditional assets. We love our traditional business, but you know, let's clear up some cash and go in on, you know, STEM and technology and innovation. 
I wonder if this is, you know, now that we've seen such an explicit bold move, if it'll encourage a lot of others to, to basically redeploy assets in tech. Right. And then finally, um, the last one you mentioned, Finance IT acquires Simply Group Financial. This is not a quick take. It's not a lightning okay. round. There's a long history of what finance has gone through and transactions have. It's very interesting. I think we'll have to cover this in detail post Canada's day. Okay. Okay. Yep. That sounds great. Uh, and I guess sort of new VC funds now moving yeah. into that, that headline. So um, you have Waterloo and Shopify Ventures. So there's two stories there. So let's do the you have Waterloo yeah. first. So University of Waterloo set up an endowment recently and they announced one of the first investments is $5 million to Velocity Fund 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so Velocity is like an incubator accelerator open to Waterloo grads and Waterloo students. And they've historically the grants, they did a fund one, which was backed by like lots of Waterloo alumni. This is the first time I believe that University of Waterloo is actually investing in the VC fund and it's backing, it's a real, you know, it's, it's really University of Waterloo related program. So I love that the money's going for local startups. It's yeah. backing its students. And I love that when those students are successful, it'll be return of, you know, the university is going to benefit. Um, yep. I'm also hoping this is a long awaited start of Canadian universities investing in the Canadian tech ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, flip side, Shopify ventures, you know, we've every once in a while I'll cover, Hey, here's a funding announcement. Oh, and by the way, Shopify is invested and Shopify never had a specifically had, or had announced a corporate venture capital arm. So they came out, you know, Toby tweeted something about, Hey, look at, here's some more information about Shopify ventures. Yeah. Why do I care? I think, look, we knew they were investing, but you know, I, I think the money comes from the balance sheet. We now know what their portfolio of companies is, what their strategy is, what they're investing in. And I think this makes it easier for Shopify to track potential investments and for potential okay. founders to find, um, to know that what, one, more, one more place to go stop. Um, so if you are, you should, if you are startup raising, you think Shopify may or may not be a good partner, you might want to check out their website and see if they could be also an investor. Yeah, it's also nice to talk about Shopify as like from from an investing standpoint. I know there's been a, a mix of lots of things related to Shopify we've been talking about recently. Uh, lastly, just for this lightning round, uh, some funding news uh, to share as well. So uh, Quandry, BoxHub, and then also MinuteBook. So there's a few in there. So let's start with uh, Quandry news. And, you know, two Vancouver companies, one Quandry raised $8.5 million USD from Fuse and others. Well, first of all, full disclosure, I've invested in both, you know, previous round and this round out of my fund and for an IP, but I think it's, you know, why I want to talk this, not because I invested in it, but because I think it's more important what, you know, what, what's Connery doing? So, you know, we talked about, you know, you go by, like I said, about the blue collar workers. Okay. They're getting served. Large enterprises, you know, technology, you know, white collar workers are getting served. And then there's like what I call those the service professionals and small SMBs. So quant, you know, they've sort of been ignored. I think the big proponent for them has been Clio, like, hey, let's make le- right. small legal firms more efficient. Well, Quandry is using AI and technology, RPAs to help for, for specific vertical insurance brokers. They're making more efficient, they're automating their processes. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of this. This has been the markets have been underinvested and you know, this is the tip of the spear here. Um, next one, BoxHub, uh, yep. you know, raised 12 point million from Alicorp and others. Um, BoxHub helps uh, large cargo you know, companies sell, sell their used cargo containers. Historically, they have to pay a lot of money to move around and repair them. Uh, this is not an obvious market. I love it when it's not. Yeah, obvious it's, not. it's not. It's like, the one I wasn't. I wasn't that aware of. So, oh, 
you know, I, I, so I've, I, I've looked at box office in 2021. I'm like, this is interesting. I would have never thought this market existed. It's in billions of dollars. So I love that when there's something that's obvious that's raised. Yeah. They don't, they don't talk about this, but I think it's climate friendly because moving large empty boxes around the world and preventing that is, is just going to be better for the environment. And Absolutely. this is not, again, not obvious climate play. It's not another dashboard. And the founder yep. relocated to Canada to go to business, which, you know, we love to see it. Building yeah. the ecosystem. And this goes back to government initiatives. Yep. I don't know if he had any spark took in anything, but this is what we want to see. Finally, yep. um, Minute Book uh, raised 0.5 million. They're uh, Vancouver based. They're making it more efficient to do like lots of uh, fun legal work around Minute Books and, you know, raising mm -hmm. money. It was founded by a serial entrepreneur with, who's had several exits, you know, smaller exits. Uh, why I'm talking about this around is filled by local founders and angels in Vancouver. Love to see that. That's what we yeah. need more of. That's what the Valley has. Um, and, and the other thing is we talked about the passage. I don't want to make it seem like every second time founder can just raise $40 million. Um, here's when it's had success. Um, and it's, you know, appears to be a decent size, you know, it's called pre-seed or seed round, but it's not massive. Not, a, you know, the, you know, serial entrepreneurs or second time founders get the benefit of doubt and can raise easier. Just it doesn't mean to raise massive amounts. Right. Uh, my, one of my favorite parts of today's episode was a lot of what we talked about. There's been a lot of founders who've come through various tech TO events that we've had recently. Um, I just think it's, again, it, it's cool to see stories evolving and to see originally what they talked about when they came to our events. So just on the note of our events, Alex, before I let you go, uh, there's July is going to be busy. Uh, we have, uh, July 6th, we're back at Ted Rogers School of Management to gather together tech sales professionals. If you're looking for a job, interested to meet industry professionals, it's a good place to do it. And also we have a tech TO together on July 10th. And then we're in Montreal July 13th for Startup Fest, which you will be there for. So lots coming up. stuff. Yes. So lots coming up. And um, as I just shared, um, all events, uh, tickets available on our website. Uh, big episode today, Alex. Thank you for breaking it all down for us. Um, I hope you have a great long weekend. Uh, if you liked today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another edition of Tectio Quick Takes. And until then, we'll see you on the inside. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.